This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am Brendan Nunez. We have Rich Ivanowski on here as well. And today we have a special guest to help us break down the CBA cap and all that type of stuff. That is Jeff Siegel. He's the founder of EarlyBirdRights.com, a website definitely to check out that breaks down all that CBA stuff very in-depth. How you doing, Jeff? Doing well. How are you guys? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on. Early Bird Rights is actually probably one of my most frequented websites around this time of the year especially um obviously you have tons of breakdowns of cap stuff but then i also really really love your uh the breakdowns that you guys offer the individual scouting reports and the way that you sort players by role and as well as the positions that you give guys because a lot of the times when i'm looking for a free agent list it'll just say something like you know Corey brewer shooting guard and it's difficult for me to uh you know it just doesn't tell the whole story but when you see when you see their position uh on your website and the role that they play uh it it really helps bring the whole big picture together yeah i think that's the biggest thing that's the reason why i wanted to break everybody out by position and role is like position to me is much more of a defensive thing is like who can you guard on the other team that's your position and what you do offensively is very separate from that. Like, it doesn't really matter how tall you are. If, like, obviously, it, you know, it can, but, like, your your ability to space the floor makes you a floor spacer, whether you're seven feet tall or six feet tall, and it doesn't really matter. And if you if that's what your role is offensively, then that's where they're going to stick you. It's in the corner to shoot. And if you're De'Aaron Fox, then you're going to be a primary playmaker. It doesn't really matter whether you're – De'Aaron Fox's size or LeBron James's size, you're still you're you're gonna have the ball in your hands. So calling both of those guys point guards is kind of weird because like Fox is a point guard, he guards point guards, but like LeBron James obviously is not. He's more of a primary playmaker as a role. So that's sort of why I broke them out between positions for defense and roles for offense. Yeah, I really like that. I think that that is spot on, completely accurate in regards to the impact and roles that players play. Um I was curious, how did you get into diving so deep into the CBA? I mean, obviously, it's extremely useful to have that understanding, but with all the amount of asterisks and complications on every corner, what made you get uh, deep into that? It started like maybe three, four, five years ago. I was in, uh, I went to college for mathematics and accounting. Like that was what I studied at, uh, at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And it just sort of, then I got into the basketball stuff through, you know, through covering the Hawks. And 
it just sort of all meshed together and like building these complex spreadsheets that you guys can see on, on the site and you can just all the different machinations behind what the CBA has to offer and how teams build their, their rosters. It's all, it was always interesting to me, but I never understood why, you know, why teams could do this, but couldn't do that and all that stuff. So I just sort of dove headfirst into it and decided, you know, I can, I can make something, you know, out of this in, that, other people aren't quite doing a lot of people create their salary cap sheets and just manually add up the numbers and just go, okay, this is how much space they have. But like, I just, I decided to take it on as sort of a challenge for myself from a programming perspective and from a, just a understanding the the CBA perspective. Can I, can I make this automated? Can I make it so that I can put in Harrison Barnes, Sacramento, four years, $80 million, and it just flows into the website and I don't have to do anything else other than just those four things on my end. And so that's sort of how I got started building early bird rights and building the, the, the spreadsheets that you guys see. There's a whole lot of back end work that you guys, you know, do, that are, is not publicly available, but there's a whole lot of that, you know, a lot of the coding that goes into it. So it just sort of started out as something I was interested in. I was good at the, the sort of breaking down complex legal documents from my time as, as an accountant. And, and it's just sort of, it just sort of fed into all the different things that I like to do. So, you know, here we are. It's an incredible resource. Um, so definitely if you're listening to this, you have to go check it out. Um, I also, uh, so I'm looking at the, the Kings page right now. And I, I think that's a natural place for us to get started, but maybe just starting kind of on the macro level, the Kings this off season, they've got a ton, ton of cap space. And, and we're already getting into terms where I'm going to ask you to, to help us understand it. But uh, they got a ton of cap space, but they've also got a ton of cap holds right now. Um, looking at this Kings team, looking at just the macro of their summer, uh, what are you seeing here? They've got a ton of money to spend. And the cap holds that are currently on their books, really, other than Willie Cauley-Stein, you can kind of ignore those. And, and even if Cauley-Stein... You might be able to ignore him as well. And, and by the time July 1st rolls around, if they've decided to move on from Collie Stein, they don't tender him a qualifying offer, which is what makes him a restricted free agent. If they don't do that, then all of these cap holds will disappear and it'll be a lot clearer where they stand and where they're going. So, you know, it just sort of depends on where, you know, what they end up doing with Collie Stein. But the, the, the unrestricted cap holds for guys like Harrison Barnes, Alec Burks, Costa Kufos and Corey Brewer, those don't, those don't really matter for, for what the Kings are looking at. Technically, those, those guys are on their books until they renounce them, uh, in early July. But tech, but for, for what, for our purposes, for projecting them going forward, we don't have to really worry about, uh, about those particular cap holds. You know, even a guy like Harrison Barnes, his cap hold is at 32.7 million, but he's not going to get that much money in, in, in free agency. So really, as soon as he signs his contract, his cap hold will be replaced by his new salary, which is, you know, I, I project will be somewhere in the, you know, 18 to $21 million range. So then, you know, they'll end up with, with that, you know, that sort of level of cap space. I'm sort of depending on where Barnes comes in. I you can sort of project them for $45.7 million. And then, you know, then you take out Barnes $20 million salary and they're down to about, you know, t- say call it $26 million. That includes $14 million for Willie Cauley Stein on his cap hold. So that's, you know, it depends on what they want to do with that. Obviously they can renounce him and, and get $14 million back to spend on other players. 
And you mentioned cap hold a couple times. I mean, just to go into what that really is, I believe it's a placeholder for players that are expected to sign in the future. But what is the benefit and the effect that it has on teams moving into the offseason when they have these cap holds on players? Yeah, cap holds are a way for teams to to have a placeholder salary for that guy. So if you're coming off of... If you're coming off of three straight seasons with a, a team, at least three, you have what's called full bird rights, and you you count on their cap for usually if you make enough money on, on your previous season, you count for 150% of your previous salary on their books. And what happens then is a team can go over the cap to to uh to re-sign that player. So let's call, let's say they really loved Alec Burks and they wanted to bring him back. And let's say he was really great and they wanted to bring him back on $25 million a year. Just go with it for a second. Um, they can leave his cap hold at $17.3 million on their books until they use all the rest of their cap space. And then they can go over the cap to sign him back. And that's what bird rights allow you to do. That's what these cap holds allow you to do. But in order to, in exchange for that, as a cap space team, that as a team that's going to have cap space like the, the Kings are going to have, they have to have a, a a a a hold on their books for for that seventeen point three million dollar amount, just so that they don't go nuts with their spending. Because you can imagine if you if they had a a great, I mean, we can even just think about it with Harrison Barnes. If Harrison Barnes opted out and then doesn't count for anything on their books, but they can pay him whatever he wants up to the max to stay with the team, then they could they would have sixty five you know sixty million dollars to spend and then twenty million dollars for Harrison Barnes. Whereas at least under you know, with a with some some version of a cap hold on their books, he at least counts toward their cap space, whether at that twenty million dollar mark or whatever his whether it's his cap hold or his new salary, whichever one's lower, that's where he counts at uh, on their books. So it, that's sort of the reasoning behind cap holds. That's why they're they were instituted in sort of the very early days, and I think it was either the ninety. 90- or 99 collective bargaining agreement, but it doesn't matter because that what they do now is they're basically placeholder salary for teams who you know want to re-sign their guys. Like if they wanted to re-sign Willie Cauley-Stein or Alec Burks, they could bring him back for any amount over the cap up to the max, but they, the, the, the cost of that is that they lose you know 14.1 for Willie Cauley-Stein. They, they lose that money off of their cap space this summer. Gotcha. So so when the Kings go into free agency um, and they want to make offers or start negotiating with players that are not coming off of the Kings roster or who were not previously Kings this this past season, uh, are those cap holds preventing them from making any negotiations or at least the offer uh, going out there? Or do they need to clear? When can they start clearing those cap holds if, say, for example, they wanted to go after Horford? They can clear those cap holds as soon as July 1st happens like literally as soon as possible they can they can go ahead and renounce both burks and kufos they can renounce brewer and they can even renounce harrison barnes and then re-sign him later for you know they'll use cap space to re-sign him because of how his cap hold works and how much more his cap hold is than than his new salary is going to be but they can renounce those holds immediately if they don't uh tender a qualifying offer to collie stein they can do the same thing there so they can walk into July 1st with $62.6 million to spend, 
you know, minus anything that they want to give to Barnes. So call it $42 million just because they're going to, you know, want to hold some back for, for Harrison Barnes. So they're going to have that kind of money available to them. They can make offers. They can, they can, they can officially sign contracts or they can just agree with, agree terms and then figure it out later. That's usually how this works is that they, you know, if, if Al Horford says yes to the Kings on July 1st, they can't officially sign him until July 6th anyway because of the moratorium. So, that's a, the six day period at the start of July where nobody can sign anything. It's just a, 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 basically a time for everybody to talk to each other. But as soon as they agree to that contract, they're going to need to carve out cap space for Al Horford to come in. And doing that means renouncing all of these cap holds. Even if they don't officially sign him, they do need that, that space in order to, to make that agreement essentially. So, with so let's just talk about the unrestricted free agent cap holds for right now. What are the consequences, uh, if any, of renouncing Harrison Barnes's unrestricted free agent cap hold? For Barnes, there's really no there's there's no reason to 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 not just get rid of it because he's not usually cap holds are placeholder salaries for guys who might make more than that. So it's, it's hard to think about with the Kings because they're not in a position where their free agents are going to make a lot more money than their cap holds. But if you look at a guy like Chris Depp's Porzingis, he, his cap hold is about $17 million for the, for on the Dallas Mavericks books going into this summer. He is going to, as the reporting has happened today, he's going to get, he's going to have a max contract offer on the table for, that starts at $27 million. That difference, that $10 million difference, that's how teams can use cap holds to their advantage to have, he, he'll count on their books at $17 million until the moment his pen hits the paper to sign that contract. So even if he's agreed, yes, I will resign for $27 million until he officially signs, he still only counts at the $17 million number. So for Sacramento, they don't really have anybody on their books for that with, you know, where that makes a lot of sense. Like even Kali Zine is not going to get more than the $14.1 million his cap hold is for. So it's not, it doesn't really work to their advantage at this point based on where they are and the free agents that are coming off their books. But it will, that will be a, a situation that will matter like next summer when Buddy Heald has a $14.5 million cap hold. And if he has another really good year, he's going to command, you know, 18, 20 million dollars. And, but they'll end up with that extra cap space because his cap hold is a little bit lower than his salary. Gotcha. So going to the RFAs, and I think that Willie Coley Stein actually does present an interesting case here because there is debate among Sacramento media. And there is reported debate, or at least reported, uh, reported consideration uh, internally with the Kings, whether or not they feel like they want to keep what they call a Stein or even issue a qualifying offer. Can you walk us through the potential process of dealing with a restricted free agent like Willie Colley Stein and the effects of the qualifying offer and and the cap hold there as well? So if you if a team wants to have a guy, have a guy under restricted free agency, which means that if Colley Stein goes out and finds a, an offer from another team for call it two years and $10 million, because, you know, he's not going to get a ton of money, but let's call it two years, $10 million. The Sacramento Kings, if they issue him a qualifying offer can just say, actually, we'll match that salary that you were about to get from that other team. And then he has to come back to them. So that's the way that restricted free agency works is that it's basically in exchange for a team issuing a qualifying offer, which is basically a standing offer for a one-year contract at a set amount. 
if he, if in, in exchange for that, they get match rights on that player. So that player can go out and get another contract from another team. And then the, the Kings will have two days from the point that he signs that contract to think about it and go, yes, we'll match that or no, we'll let him go. And so I think that's, that's sort of the, the dilemma that they have is that do they want to give him a, a qualifying offer in the range of, you know, I think it's three or three and a half million dollars. If he signs it, then they have to keep him at three and a half million dollars and then he's an unrestricted free agent next year. But if he doesn't want to and he has to go out and get another contract, they can always match that and bring him back. Whether he wants to come back or not is irrelevant at that point. He has to come back based on, on whether he signs a, a qualifying offer with another team or he signs an offer sheet with another team. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. If you were to extend that qualifying offer and him sign with another team, the Kings do not match. Is there any sort of native, uh, negative implications that happen on the Kings because of that? Or does the money clear once he signs elsewhere? The money clears immediately. So if that only negative thing is that they just don't get any, they don't have Willie Colley Stein on their team anymore and they didn't get anything for him, right? There's no compensation coming back. It's obviously not a trade or anything like that. So the, uh, the only negative consequence there is just that you lose Willie Colley Stein for nothing. But if that's not a big deal, then, then yes, they get the, the entire $14.1 million cap hold comes right off their books and they can immediately go and spend that on other players. I think with Willie, um, I should double, I'll double check this while we're recording here, but I think his qualifying offer is up above six million or right around six million. He got, he gets, he got drafted six. So it's a little bit higher than sometimes it feels like for a guy like Willie, but, um, there has been voiced a little bit of concern that, you know, some people don't even really want him back at one year, six million or six and a half million. Um, with that qualifying offer, once the Kings, if the Kings were to, issue that could Willie just at any point sign that and he's he's on the Kings for for that for that amount yeah that's the uh, that's the danger that they have when they especially if that qualifying offer is that high I remembered it being a little bit lower than that but he was a, a higher pick in the draft so if his qualifying offer is in the like six six and a half million dollar range which now that you're talking about it makes a little bit more sense if he's in that range he can just sign that immediately or sign it whenever he wants to, and and that that amount will go on their books immediately. And so, you know, that's the that's the danger of issuing a qualifying offer to someone who maybe isn't quite as good as that qualifying offer would think that he is. And so, you know, that's sort of the upside and downside that Sacramento has to risk is like if he signs it immediately, then that's six million dollars you can't spend on somebody else. But if you let him walk, then obviously you're letting him walk for nothing. So, you know, th- those are the the that's what Sacramento has to think about in, in advance of, of the June 29th deadline for the, for the qualifying offer. Okay. So I, yeah, I am seeing here, it looks like 6.26 million for him. And uh, yeah, I mean, it does kind of, 
uh, we're not going to use this episode to talk about whether we think these players de- deserve these contracts necessarily. It's more to get, you know, now that we've got you on the podcast, to get the technical side of it. But um, say we say the Kings, excuse me, say the Kings were to extend that qualifying offer and Willie just doesn't sign it. When does he eventually have to make a decision? Uh, say he doesn't get, say he doesn't sign an offer sheet with any other team and say he doesn't sign the qualifying offer right away. Uh, how long does Willie have to make that decision? And in the meantime, is that uh, restricted free agent cap hold going against Sacramento's cap space? He, yes, until he makes his decision, whether he signs with another team or signs the qualifying offer, that $14.1 million stays on their books. And so that's just until he decides. And he literally can do whatever he wants. He has no, there's no timing that says he has to sign it uh, by a certain date, especially early in the summer, it may, I believe it, it does eventually expire, but it does not expire until at least, I believe it's August or October 1st. So they would really have their entire summer. They would have, he would be able to just be able to sign it whenever they can pull it if they want to before July 13th. So if he, if they issue it to him and then on July 6th, 7th, 8th, whatever, they have some other stuff that they want to do. They can pull that offer off the table until July 13th. And then he's an unrestricted free agent after July 13th. Then both sides have to agree that they want it pulled. And then they can, they, the, 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 the team can pull the, the, the qualifying offer off the table. And then that guy is a, an unrestricted free agent. But until if Carly Stein does not want to pull the qualifying offer off the table after July 13th, then he can, he has, yeah, I think it's until October 1st to to sign that qualifying offer. One example of a guy that signed the qualifying offer, I believe, is Rodney Hood from last season. Um, I can't remember the exact deals that he was being offered. I think it was rumored he may have gotten like a one plus one offer for like eight million a season or or something like that. But uh, Hood did sign the qualifying offer, I believe, with Cleveland at the time. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, what's the advantage? for a player to make a move like that. The biggest advantage is that they can, they are going to hit unrestricted free agency the next summer. So if the team is not interested in pulling that qualifying offer and will, and Willie Colley Stein or Rodney hood doesn't want to sign it. We saw this with Patrick McCaw this past season. If he, if you don't, if you're a player and you don't sign a qualifying offer and you don't, then you don't play basketball the next season the next, the next off season, they can just do the same thing again. You still only have four years of service and they can still just issue the qualifying offer and you just do the whole thing again. So that's not good for, for the player, of course. So I think the biggest thing that why you see guys like Rodney Hood, why you might see a guy like Willie Colley Stein sign that, that qualifying offer is just so that they, the next summer, they can be an unrestricted free agent with no match rights and they can walk away from their, their current team at the time. There are some other small advantages. Obviously, the, for a guy like Willie Colley Stein, you know, the $6.2 million is not too bad because he's not, he's probably not going to make that money elsewhere. So, you know, that's something where, you know, if he wants a one, one year contract for $6.2 million, that's, that's pretty solid money for, for what he brings to the table. There's also the advantage that you, if you sign the qualifying offer, you have what's essentially a no trade clause for that season, uh, because of the way that the, the, the rules work with, with no trade clauses. You can, you can basically 
you you essentially get an implied no trade clause by signing a one year contract like that. So that's also kind of nice. Where Rodney Hood, when he signed that qualifying offer with Cleveland, if they had tried to ship him to Phoenix where he doesn't want to go, then he can say, no, I'm not going. And that's it. So he waived that obviously to go to the Portland trailblazers where he was a bigger part of the, of a, of a better team. But you, as, as a, as a player with a, having signed a qualifying offer, you have that no trade clause in your contract. And in regard to, there's a bunch of exceptions that have complications to them. And I know you only qualify for some if you happen to be above or below the, the tax level. What sort of exceptions, uh, do the Kings have? And what does it look like to use those exceptions? The, so these exceptions are basically what are, they're, they're literally called like exceptions to the salary cap. And they're, they're ways that you can spend money to go over the cap or stay over the cap and still be able to bring talent into your team. The, the, mo- the main two for teams that are over the cap, but under the tax are the, the regular, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception and the biannual exception. Those are the two that are, are most often used, but not necessarily what will be available to the Kings this summer. Based on where they're going to be from a cap space perspective, teams that use cap space then have an extra exception after they've used all of their cap space that's called the room exception. And it's literally for teams that use cap room. You know, that's, that's, it's not particularly inventive in, in its name, but it's, it's called the room exception. It's for teams that have used room, uh, in the past, uh, that, that, that off season. And so they, will have that for about $4.8 million that they can bring in somebody after they've used all of their cap space. They can bring in another player for $4.8 million or less. They can split that up between two people. They can do whatever they want with it, but they have that extra money after they've used all of their other cap space to, to bring in at least one, maybe more than that players. So the, the mid-level exception, I think that's the one you're referring to as for, for teams over the, cap but under the tax that's the that's the mle and that's uh was it nine could you give us the figures of the the mle and the biannual as well yeah the the full mle the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception for teams that are over the cap but under the tax is for 9.2 million dollars nine nine million two hundred forty six thousand is the projection right now if the salary cap comes in at a different number than 109 million then that number will change slightly but for right now that's where we're at and then the biannual exception is another exception that they get for, for teams that are over the cap but under the tax, and that's for 3619000 okay. And can you offer these for multi-year, or is it simply a one-year deal? Yeah, the, so the, the room exception, the one that the, the Kings are going to have, that's going to be $4.8 million, and you can go up to two years on that. The, the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception, you can go up to four years. And we saw that last year with Kyle Anderson. He got the full four-year non-taxpayer mid-level exception from the Memphis Grizzlies. We've seen that with, um, what's his name, P.J. Tucker in Houston. He got the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception for four seasons as well. So those are you can go up to four seasons on the, uh, on the non-taxpayer mid-level with the room exception, you can only go two seasons. With the biannual exception, you can go only two seasons. And if you're way over the tax, like a team like the Golden State Warriors is going to hopefully be for their sake in terms of signing, you know, if they sign Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson and they're way over the tax, then they get what's called the taxpayer mid-level exception, which is a smaller version of the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. And it's for, it's 
going to be roughly $5.6 million and it's for only up to three years. So those, those are sort of, that's the penalty you have for going over the, over the tax. You lose the full biannual and your mid-level exception is, is a lot lower than, than other teams who are over the cap, but under the tax. And all of those can be split amongst multiple players. Yeah. You can split those as many ways as you want. You can sign, uh, you could sign 10 minimum guys. You can do whatever you want with, with the, with all of those exceptions, you can as as long as all of them fit under the the guidelines of the as long as all of them summed up fit under the the total amount. You you can do what you can split it as many ways as you want. Gotcha. Now, generally speaking, and this might get a little more to subjectivity, so feel free to pass on this one. But do those except to signing players to those exceptions? It, it's it's kind of felt like me, to me that those kind of come a little bit later at times in the summer. Maybe guys that wanted uh, a bigger contract beyond that nine point two MLE, uh, guys that are hoping for forty, fifty, sixty million dollar contracts. Maybe they find some team that's willing to give them a full four year, the full MLE at four years. Um, or do you do you sometimes see guys just uh, right out the gate, especially for teams over the cap? Do those exceptions get used right away? The, I mean, the exceptions can, especially the over the cap exceptions can be used right away because those teams aren't looking to use cap space first. So like the Sacramento Kings are not going to use their room exception until they've used all of their other cap space first. So that's not, you, you usually don't see the room exception used in the first few days of free agency. But once you, you know, once you're already over the cap, using the mid-level exception doesn't hurt or help you. So you might as well go ahead and use it if you have that guy available to you. It does, you do usually see those exceptions pushed off a little bit, but you, we've seen some some guys sign on, on the second or third day of free agency for that full mid-level or for part of the mid-level. As soon as a team sort of understands where they are and where they're, what their targets are in free agency, they can go ahead and use that pretty much immediately. Now, one other question, uh, kind of shifting into a different category about teams that are operating as over the cap teams or under the cap teams. So can you tell us a little bit about any teams that might have the option to do that? Are there, you know, are the Kings, uh, they seem like they're well below, uh, the cap line. So it may, may seem completely out of the question for them, but the advantages to acting as an over-the-cap team or an under-the-cap team and the flexibility there, how does how does that work? Technically, the Kings can operate as an over-the-cap team, but that requires keeping all of those cap holds that we talked about earlier. The Alec Burks, Harrison Barnes, Costa Kufos, Corey Brewer, BJ Johnson, even if they wanted to keep that, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein, if they keep all of those cap holds, then they're way over the cap and they can just operate as a as 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 an over the cap team with the MLE and stuff like that for a team like Sacramento that doesn't make any sense whatsoever they're obviously going to go the cap space route but there are teams out there who maybe could have 10 million dollars in space or they can go with the over the cap exceptions and go with you know say 9.2 million dollars for the mid level exception those are sorts of the, those are the teams that can sort of make that choice between those two and usually those teams will go with an with staying over the cap until they can't anymore because as soon as you as soon as you start renouncing guys to get under the cap you can't unrenounce them to get back over if you want to but if you just keep them you can always renounce them later so usually you'll see teams and the big one this summer is Orlando they can get to 
I think it's like $18, $20 million in cap space if they want to, but that requires them renouncing the cap hold for Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross, whereas if they want to bring back those guys, they can keep their cap holds on the book, operate as an over-the-cap team, and then use those guys' bird rights to re-sign them to any number up to the max and still have the, that, the, the mid-level exception, the biannual exception available to them. And apologies if you already said this, but how long, when is the deadline for having to cut those cap holds if you were to do it? Uh, there's no deadline for that. You can hold cap holds on your books for years if you want to. And I think the biggest one there is um, Nando DiColo in Toronto, who hasn't played for the Raptors since like 2014 or 2015, but he's been on their books at $1.9 million or so for the last five years because they don't want when he eventually wants to come back to the NBA, they now have his rights. And so they can issue him a qualifying offer and he can be a restricted free agent. So you can hold on to a guy's, a guy's cap hold for ever. If you want to, Uh, you know, there's no reason, you know, if you, even if the guy retires, I think you can still hold on to his cap hold and just use it to, to remain over the cap. If that's what you want to do. Wow. (laughs) You're blowing my mind with that. Uh, so that that for the Raptors, have they just been over the cap for so long that it doesn't hurt them in any way to keep that hole around? Is yeah, that what's going on there? Yeah, they've been over the cap for so long with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And like those guys have been so expensive for so long that it never made sense for them to go go the cap space route and get rid of and 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 DeColo's cap hold was so small at 1.9 million that even if they wanted to go to a little bit of cap space, it made sense to keep that cap hold just in case he ever came back. And now this summer he's thinking about coming back and they've got full, they've got the rights for, for, to, to match any offer he gets from another team. So, you know, essentially he can play for, he can go out and get a, an offer from another team, just like Collie Stein, but Toronto will have the, the opportunity to match that. Gotcha. This is all, I, I'm getting a real education today. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So with with the magic um, you had mentioned uh, as an example, so basically they have more. Assuming they want to keep their guys, they have more spending power to to act as an over the cap team because they could throw Max at Butovic and they could throw twenty million dollars at Ross. But and and then they could also use the MLE up to nine point two and potentially the biannual if they have if they didn't use it last year. And, and, but if they were to renounce those guys, then they're basically, they got 18 million to spend on anybody, but that's it. Right. That's pretty much it is they, they can keep those guys on the books. And if those guys want to come back, they can go up to the max for either one of those guys. And that's not something, you know, two max players, obviously they're not going to do that, but like Vucevic and Terrence Ross say make $50 million between the two of them next season with Vucevic and, and at the max and Ross say at 20, $20 million a year. That would be, a, you know, quite a lot for Terrence Ross. But, you know, if they wanted to do that, they could do that because those guys are their own free agents. Whereas if they decide to renounce those guys or those guys leave for other teams, then they've got $18 million plus that $4.8 million room exception. And that's it. That's all they've got. 
And so, you know, that's why it, it behooves teams to have guys on their books who are already, who are, who are good and who they want to bring back. That's why, you know, that's why the, the a team like Golden State can go way, way, way over the cap to bring back Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. That's why Toronto can go way over the cap to bring back Kawhi Leonard. You know, that, that's what the, the advantage to having these guys on the books is. For Sacramento, it doesn't really, it doesn't totally mean anything for them because the only guy that they really want to bring back is Harrison Barnes and he, they can use cap space to bring him back. So it doesn't really work out that way for, for the Kings this offseason, but it may in the future work out for them to bring back guys like De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Healed by, by using their cap holds and going way over the cap to bring those guys back. One team that has a lot of free agents that are interesting to the Kings for various reasons is the Milwaukee Bucks. And their cap situation is very intriguing to me. And there's a lot thrown around that they're only able to spend up to a certain amount. Um, I know they do have, if I'm understanding right, about 17 million in cap space. And there is only 1 million guaranteed of an 18 million non-guaranteed George Hill contract. But then obviously, you know, there's Lopez, Miritich, Middleton, Brogdon, um, Without having to go all too deep into Milwaukee specifically, what does their situation look like while I believe that they're currently operating under until they bring some of these guys back? Yeah, their situation's super interesting because they've got this is a team that's going to take advantage of the cap holds being smaller than the contracts that those guys are going to get. You know, Chris Middleton's cap hold is $19.5 million. So until he signs his new contract with the Milwaukee Bucks, assuming he re signs, until he signs that the paper, he it counts at $19.5 million on their books. Obviously, he can't play for them at $19.5 million, so he has to sign the contract eventually before the season starts, but they can use the rest of their cap space and then re-sign him over the cap to a, a max contract starting at $32.7 million. And that that difference, that extra you know $13 million that they got from not signing him immediately, they can use that on other players. And the same thing with Malcolm Brogdon, who has a $3.0 million cap hold, but might get $18, $20 million a year, 15 at the minimum for, for his services. They can re-sign him to that amount and still go and still use their cap space and then end up way over the cap to, to bring those guys back. That's where you see the big advantages to having good players on your roster for lower cap holds is that you can then use cap space. Usually, in, in this case, they're going to use cap space to bring back Brooke Lopez and then go way, way over the cap to bring back Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon. Gotcha. One other question I have regarding that over-the-cap, under-the-cap thing, is there uh, does that have an effect on the ability to use trade exceptions? No, but those trade exceptions also count toward your cap holds. So they're, they're just like... Uh, free agent cap holds in that they, they will, they will hurt you essentially in terms of keeping, if you keep a $10 million ca- uh, traded player exception on your books, that's $10 million in cap space you can't use to spend on other players. So that it, it works in the, in the same way as a cap hold and that it, it hurts your overall cap space, but you can be an under the cap team and keep those exceptions on your books until you absolutely need that cap space and then you can renounce them. Okay, so one thing that was that kind of linked to the Kings through a trade, I believe the Mavericks generated a pretty sizable trade exception uh, with the Barnes trade. And I'm just trying to, I mean, it doesn't super matter for Kings fans that are listening, but um, 
is that I, I had heard at the time that the Mavericks would consider acting as an above the cap team, or at least for a period of time using that trade exception. Is that something that's kind of out the window now for them? It's not entirely out the window. They can decide to stay as an over the cap team going into the summer with, you know, with Chris Tapps Porzingis's cap hold, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber both have cap holds. They have the $21.3 million traded player exception for Harrison Barnes. They can use that to take in salary in a trade, but they can't use that to sign somebody. So that's why cap space is a little bit better for them than, than a traded player exception, especially because even with, even with Chris Tapps, Finney-Smith and Kleber's, um, cap holds on their books, they can still get to about $30 million in cap space, which is more than the $21.3 million traded player exception. Plus it's more flexible in terms of the way they can use it. So I, you know, I think they're going to go with cap space. I think that makes the most sense for them, but if they end up not signing big names and can sign players that fit the mid-level exception or want to do, you know, some sort of sign and trade using the Harrison Barnes exception, they can operate as an over the cap team, for, for this summer, I just don't think that that's quite the route that they're going to end up going. Gotcha. So if they wanted to pursue like a Kemba or a Horford, they would need to need, would they need to renounce that trade exception? Sorry if I'm getting out, out in the woods here, but would that trade exception disappear? Yeah, they'd have to renounce it, and which means it just disappears and it just doesn't exist anymore. They can never unrenounce it. You're not allowed to do that. So if they have a, a, a commitment from Al Horford or Kemba Walker or whoever, and they need that cap space to sign that guy, then they would just have to renounce it and call it a day. They would lose the ability to use that cap space. They would lose the ability to use that traded player exception, but you would be getting Al Horford or Kemba Walker. So who cares? You know, that would be the, the cost of doing business there, but they don't have, they would, they would wait until the absolute last minute before renouncing that just in case they wanted to use it. Got it. So. Looking at, or is there anything else on that topic before I change it up a little bit here, Rich? I think uh, I think that answered all my questions. I one that I'll just throw out, just because you know uh, it's just something I'm seeing right now on the website, and I don't know what it means, so I might as well ask the uh, founder of the website. Um, hard caps. What is that a reference to on this on this uh, cap sheet here? That is a good question. The hard cap is a the hard cap is how much money the team has to spend below the what's called the apron, which is about six million dollars over the, the the tax level. And as soon as you get over if you get over that number, you lose the ability to use the, the non taxpayer mid level exception and the biannual exception. You're not allowed to to use those amounts if you're over that that much salary on your books. And if you do use those those exceptions before you trigger, before you get that high in, in total team salary, you can't go over that amount in order to, you can't ever for any reason go over the hard cap as soon as you're hard cap. So that's, that's what that number sort of represents is how, and if you're going to use the mid-level exception, use the biannual exception or acquire a player in sign and trade, those are the three things that trigger the hard cap. And then as soon as it's triggered, you can't for any reason go past it. What about with uh, like minimum bets? Like, is the, I know that that's an exception to the standard uh, salary cap. Is that is with the hard cap? Can you even sign? I mean, can you get anybody on your team? 
nope, if you are at the hard cap, you can't do anything. You're not allowed to exceed that thing by 10 cents. You're, you're literally not allowed to go past it for any reason at any time whatsoever. So you, you're, it's, it can be for teams that are very close to it. It can be a bit of a burden, but you know, that's, you know, that's the, the penalty you pay for having used a, a, the mid-level exception or having used the, um, biannual exception or having acquired a player through sign and trade. Got it. So next uh, sort of topic to move on to here, the Kings obviously have a lot of young guys on their roster and now feels like the time to spend money before you are giving out these extensions. But I believe that Buddy Heald is eligible for that rookie extension now, and that goes until the end of the year. And if nothing is agreed upon, he would become a restricted free agent unless they picked up his uh, option for next year and then he would become unrestricted the year after. Do I understand that correctly? Uh, not particularly. Uh, there were parts of that that were right, but not most of it. So we'll just start <laughs> at the beginning. So Buddy Heald can sign an extension this summer. He is on the last year of his contract. He wakes, makes about $4.9 million. He can sign an extension anytime between now and the start of the 2019 regular season in October. So this summer, he can negotiate with the Kings and try to come to an agreement on any number up to the max for him to to retain for him to stay in Sacramento long term on a one year contract up to five years they can do whatever they want with that that until once the season starts in mid October then the extension talks are done and they can't go go through more extension talks then when he hits when he when the season ends and we're this time next year he is in the exact same position that Willie Cauley Stein is in right now where they can give him a qualifying offer and then he will count on their books for that cap hold of about 14.6 million dollars he will count as 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 that on their books until he either goes out and gets an offer sheet and then they can decide to match or not or they can come to an agreement on a new contract so for a guy like buddy you had mentioned um, he's the type of guy who will have a fairly low uh, restricted free agent cap. His his cap will be fairly low uh, in the summer of 2020. So I guess I'm just curious as far as sometimes it feels smart to lock a player in uh, immediately, especially if you're not going to have a ton of cap space in the year where their their new contract will start. But is it also sometimes it also make a lot of sense to let a player who, even if you value him greatly, let him go to a restricted free agency for that purposes of having a little bit more space? Yeah, I mean, that makes a ton of sense for teams like the Kings, who project to have a lot of cap space next summer, depending on what they do this summer. If they have a ton of cap space next summer, letting him stay on their books at $14.6 million versus whatever salary he would get if he gets 16, 17, 18 million dollars, that cuts out a little bit of their cap space. So they would rather not do that. The difference there is not as large as it is with some other players. But it, let's say if, if Buddy Heald were a max player, then it would make a big difference. That could be 16 million dollars that they're just giving away in terms of their cap space. So I think that's where you see teams not necessarily want to extend with their max level free agents, but then when the summer comes, they immediately agree to that and everything is, is fine again. So I think that's, that's where you see teams decide not to extend certain guys at, at, at certain numbers. Really the point of, of rookie scale extensions is for guys who want to get some of that financial security up front and for the teams to get a bit of a discount on what they think that, that guy might be worth down the line. So maybe a guy like Devin Booker, I've heard thrown out there is someone who 
it may it may have been smarter for the Suns to let him go into restricted free agency just because they would they they have some cap space now, but maybe not the max. Um, is that a decent example where if they had let him go, uh, it, it become an RFA that they could have perhaps signed a max player and then created this new contract for uh, Devin Booker? Yeah, that's precisely right. So he became he would have become a restricted free agent this summer for about $10 million on their books. He would have counted for $10 million until he signed his new contract. But once he signed that extension to, with, with the Suns to get him up to the $27 million max, now he counts at $27 million. So that $17 million difference just evaporates into thin air. They can't ever get that cap space back. That $17 million disappears, and that would have been really nice for them this summer. They didn't really know that going in. They wanted, you know, there, there are good reasons to, you know, have, you know, show, you know, show a guy that you really care, that you really want to keep him around. There are good reasons to extend a guy that go beyond just the, the cap space numbers that you might have, but, that extra $17 million, especially for a team that is trying to go after maybe D'Angelo Russell or something, that would have that would have been really nice to, to still have in their pocket. Man, that team has run so smartly, right? It's, I mean, it's not the way I would do things, but I understand. <laughs> the, the Booker extension makes sense because you're trying to signal to him and to other free agents that 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 they take care of their own guys, that if you're good here and if you're a very good player, for the Phoenix Suns, we're going to take care of you, even if it kind of hurts us. So it's it's something from a personal perspective that makes a little bit of sense. I mean, they are, certainly have had some other moves this summer over the years that just haven't quite been, you know, all that smart. That hasn't really been where I would have, have gone with some of their their moves. But I can I can at least understand the personal the personal aspect to signing a guy like Booker to a max contract. And talking on those rookie player extensions, what is the max amount that you are able to offer in that extension? For a guy like uh, Devin Booker, which you can, or for any player coming off of their rookie scale contract, you can give them up to five years and up to whatever their individual max is. So it depends on whether if they had made all NBA or they've won MVP, stuff like that. It's called the Derrick Rose rule because it was sort of made for him. Yeah. When, when the guy, if the guy has been well, you know, won some awards like All NBA, Defensive Player of the Year, MVP, then you can pay him up to thirty percent of the cap. But if he hasn't, then it's just twenty five percent. That's why, you know, that's where where Devin Booker is going to come in because he did not make an All NBA team. He is going to come in at twenty five percent of the cap. But if he had made an All NBA team, he could have had up to thirty percent. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, Buddy will actually be a pretty interesting one because I feel like. The way he's being valued in Sacramento uh, is a little bit over what his capital will be. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got an offer around $20 million or even a little bit above if he has another really solid year. Uh, so that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. But I know we have another guy who is coming off of his first contract and gave myself and Brendan some befuddlement in trying to figure out the type of extension that the Kings could offer him. Um, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about Bogey's situation, Brendan? Maybe ex- I know it's a, a little bit of a different one there. Yeah, of him being the second round pick that didn't come over, um, spent a year overseas. So I know that there's 
a bunch of different complications to being second round and then even more to having been stashed for a year over overseas as well. Um, yeah, so just how does that change everything compared to what it normally is? So the big thing with Bogdanovich is that he wasn't even a second-round pick. He was a first-round pick in 2014, but then by staying three years, he wasn't just stashed for one year. He stayed three years overseas, and then because he did that, he's allowed to come in essentially as a free agent who can only who can only sign with one team, but he's essentially a free agent, so he's not bound to the rookie-scale contracts that guys like Marvin Bagley, De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, those guys are on rookie-scale contracts, so Bogdan is not on any of that stuff. He he's, he's a very... He and Nikola Mirotic are the two guys who came into the league as first-round picks, but sat out for three years, and after three years exactly, you can come in and not be bound to the rookie-scale contract anymore, and so that's what those guys chose to do, is they, they chose to stay in Europe and, and play uh, play out their career over there before coming over, and it worked out for, for both of them, obviously, because you know, Bogdanovich got three years, $27 million in, uh, two years ago, and now will you know, perhaps, hit unrestri- or pa- perhaps hit restricted free agency next summer, but the extension rules for him, because he's not technically a first-round pick who signed a rookie-scale contract, the extension rules are very different. They mimic the, the same extension rules that guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Josh Richardson, Norman Powell, they, they mimic the same what are called veteran extensions, but are essentially like second-round extensions, even though he's not technically a second-round pick. He's limited to those same amounts. Yeah, I, that was such a it's such an interesting one. I, I think maybe I could be wrong about this, but I've heard that his contract, at least when it was signed, was the most guaranteed money for any rookie because it has you know the third year was guaranteed at the time. So twenty seven million, even though you know first overall picks are going to get you know around ten million per year, that third year is not guaranteed. So I may be wrong about that, but that's a little bit of minutia. I think he got the richest contract for any rookie at the time he signed it. Yeah, I think that's true. Actually, now that I'm looking at it, he got 27 because it, because rookie scale contracts are the first two years are guaranteed, and then the next two are team options. Technically, those don't count toward your total guaranteed money when you sign the deal, because who knows, you might you know the the team can can opt not to pay those 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 last two years. So you know you see a guy like. De'Aaron Fox, who's going to make $8 million in his last season, or a guy like Marvin Bagley, who is going to make $20 million over the last two seasons of his rookie-scale contract, plus the $8.5 million that he's going to make this year. Those amounts are more, but they weren't fully guaranteed at the time he signed it, so Bogdanovich did end up getting three years, $27 million, and it was all fully guaranteed, and so that is actually technically the richest contract for a rookie in NBA history. That's crazy to think about. Um, so you mentioned the rules will be similar to uh, Dinwiddie and, and uh, Richardson. So what are those rules exactly? And and also considering, I know he had a declining contract. So the nine million was the average, and they started him high and let it drop down each season. Uh, what's the biggest extension they could give him under that rule set? And uh, does it affect? You know, is it, does it just use the average salary of the contract to, to create that rule, or how does that work? He actually, because of because his contract is a little bit smaller, it actually doesn't it doesn't matter how much money he made. So, like Josh Richardson and Spencer Dinwiddie, those guys were on minimum contracts, and then they got 
an extension that started at like $11 million. And so that's, that's the same sort of deal that, uh, even though he's, even though Bogdanovich has an $8.5 million salary for next year, it still doesn't, it still doesn't necessarily matter for, for these purposes. So his, his first year salary could start at roughly $10 million and it's going to go up from there. So it's, it's going to end up being, if he signs a full blown four year extension, which would be the max that he could do, it would, it would end up being about four years, 46 to 48 million, depending on exactly where the cap comes in. So a guy like Bogey, does he qualify for bird rights? And, and maybe this is a good time to ask you for the breakdown of early bird, uh, the namesake of your website. Uh, is it stand, are there regular bird rights? Are there, can you give us the full breakdown of these bird rights? Yeah, so if you if you if you sign with a team in free agency, so let's say you were on the Indiana Pacers and then you come to the Sacramento Kings and you sign a one-year contract, at the end of that you have what are called non-bird rights. So when you at the end of that contract, you can sign back with the Kings for up to 120% of what you just made without needing extra money for for to for your cap hold or for anything like that. You, you would not need cap space. You don't need another exception. What you can call, you can re-sign for the Kings up to 120% of what you just made under what are called non-bird rights and the non-bird exception. If you signed a two-year contract, then you're what's called an early bird free agent. You have the early bird exception, which can pay you up to 175% of what you just made over the last two, of, of the, the second season of that two-year contract. If you have three or more seasons, which is where Bogdanovich is going to be after his third season with the Kings, if you have three or more seasons, then it's what's called full bird rights or just bird rights, and you can go up to the max for that guy. You can pay him literally whatever you want as long as it is less than that guy's individual maximum. That's where all the guys who come off rookie-scale contracts, because those are four-year contracts, Bogdanovich after three years, those guys are going to have full-blown, full bird rights. They can go up to the max to keep those guys. Interesting. So... A guy like DeMarcus Cousins, you, you had mentioned um, that a team can sign them at 100% of their previous salary. Is that a is that the best that they can do for that player? So a guy like DeMarcus uh, signed a small contract with the Warriors on for one year, and I had heard uh, just around the you know the Twitter sphere, around in, in different podcasts I listened to, uh, that basically that there was some risk in that because if he did turn into a $20 million a year player, a guy of that value that the Warriors couldn't offer any more than say $6 million. Yeah. And that's exactly right. So DeMarcus Cousins signed a $5.3 million contract last summer. And now because that was a one year contract, they can go up to 120% of that amount. So a 20% raise only gets them to $6.4 million. If he had played extremely well, and been a $20 million player, they could not, they can't bring him back for more than that $6.4 million. So that's, that's the, the danger of signing a one year contract. The biggest place that we're seeing that right now is in Milwaukee with Brooke Lopez. They signed him to a very small $3.4 million contract. 120% of that is only 4 million, but the way he played, he obviously is going to want way more money than that. He wants 14, 15, 16 million dollars. So instead of using his non-bird rights and the non-bird exception, they have to carve out that cap space. And that's what they've been doing with the Tony Snell deal and with, you know, they're going to cut George Hill. Some of those other moves that they're making have are just about clearing cap space to sign Brooke Lopez. Cause if you have that cap space, then you're allowed to sign him. 
But if you don't have cap space like the Golden State Warriors don't have, you can't go over the cap to sign those guys other than to that 20% raise. I see. So the bird rights, that only becomes a limitation over for over-the-cap teams. Yes. Gotcha. That's interesting. So a guy like the the Kings had signed Corey Brewer uh, over the course of this past season on a one-year deal, and that's that's of no concern to the Kings really at this point because not not saying that Brewer you know needs ten million or something to return, but uh, considering how much space they have, that seems like a non-issue. So that's that's good to know. Yeah, that, it's a total non-issue for Brewer. His cap hold is technically at $2.4 million, but if they wanted to spend $5 million to keep him, they could just do that with cap space and, and treat him as if he were another team's free agent, which is how Milwaukee is going to te- uh, treat uh, Brooke Lopez. It's going to be the same sort of thing, where they, they bring him in as if he played for another team last year and they just use their cap space like anybody else would. Gotcha. So just rounding out the Kings cap sheet here, uh, I noticed... On the the Kings page on your website, there's a couple of guys marked as non guarantees. That to me sounds a little bit more self explanatory uh, than a lot of these other terms. But um, do you want to just quickly cover that um, for guys like Yogi Ferrell and Frank Mason? Yeah, those guys are, are non guaranteed or partially guaranteed. Is is how I, I mark them when if their if their number is in red on the on the site, that's how you know that those guys are, are either partially or not. Basically, they're not fully guaranteed money. For, for Yogi Ferrell and Frank Mason, that means that they the, the Kings can cut those guys without having to pay out those numbers. Whereas if they cut you know, a, a guy like Caleb Swanigan, who makes $2 million, they have to pay that $2 million to him. And that $2 million stays on their cap sheet going forward. Whereas a guy like Yogi Ferrell or Frank Mason, they would not stay on their cap sheet. They could just cut them for nothing. Got it. Um, we have covered all the Kings specific topics and we've also crossed over an hour. Um, so if you, uh, need to get going, just let us know. Um, otherwise there's a couple random questions here we can throw out there. Uh, if you're up for that. Yeah, sure. Let's do a couple questions. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, undrafted free agents and how their contracts may work as opposed to, uh, a player selected at, at say 60, like the Kings? happen to draft uh, this year so if you're a second round pick or an undrafted free agent you are not subject to the rookie scale which is how you know the, the guys in the first round have these set salaries that they walk into the league and they know based on their draft position how much money they're going to make if you're a second round pick or an undrafted free agent there is no there's no set amount that you're going to get and so if as a second round pick it's almost a little bit worse for you because that team that drafted you, that's the only team that you're allowed to negotiate with. Whereas if you are an undrafted free agent, you can go to all 30 teams and be like, who's going to give me the most money? Who's going to give me the most guaranteed years? Where do I fit the best that you can make your choice among those guys or among those teams? Whereas if you're a second round pick, you only have one team that you can work with to, to, to work out a contract. Obviously they picked you, so they want you. So there's a little bit of leverage on that perspective, but you can't, if, if, if contract talks break down, you can't shop yourself around to other teams, which is a little bit of a problem for some second round picks, especially later on in, in, in the process. So, but the, in terms of signing those contracts, they have to either use, they have to sign them as if they were free agents, essentially. So they either have to have the, what's the minimum exception, which is what most of te- most teams use for a two-year contract for for the minimum, you can use part of the mid-level exception. You can use part of the the 
non or the taxpayer mid-level exception, or you can use part of your cap space, which is what probably what is going to end up happening in Sacramento with guys like Justin James and Kyle Guy. If they if those guys sign to minimum contracts, you can extend them out to year three or or three years or four years because you're using cap space. Whereas if you use the minimum salary exception, if you, if you're an over the cap team, you can only max those guys out at two years. Gotcha. And then a couple of final questions here that probably won't apply to the Kings for a while, but um, could you just touch on the levels of luxury tax and the, the compounding uh, effects of going far beyond the luxury tax, even if it takes, uh, you know, five years for, for the Kings to actually hit this sort of territory. Yeah. So the luxury tax is a way that you, for, for teams, it's a way that you have to pay more money based on how much salary you have over the tax threshold. So for 2019, 20, it's, it's roughly projected to be $132 million. That number will change depending on, on how things go. Uh, over the next couple of weeks and, and where the, the cap comes in. But if you're over $132 million, but less than $137 million, then you pay $1.50 for every dollar you are over the tax. And that money goes to the league and is spread out amongst the other teams that didn't pay the tax that season. Then if you do, you know, if you do the same thing again, it's the same, it's, it goes again. But if you go way over the tax, then your, your increments get higher. So instead of it being a dollar fifty, it's a dollar seventy-five, and then two twenty-five, and then two fifty, three fifty, four fifty, and it goes up from there. And so the things can get very expensive very quickly. And then on top of all of that, if you're in the tax for four out of five seasons at any given time, that fifth that fourth season that you're in the tax in the in, out of the five years that we're talking about, you're then in the repeater tax and every penalty is just upped by another dollar. So you start at $2.50 in tax for every dollar you're above and it just goes up from there. So that's how the Warriors might end up with $300 million in tax penalties. That's how, you know, that's how a lot of teams end up with, with significant, significant penalties, uh, for the tax because things can get out of hand very quickly if you've got a, a very large tax, uh, tax bill. So there's no actual limit. They'll just tax you to death, essentially. They'll tax you to death. If you've got billions and billions of dollars you're willing to spend on, on your team, you can do whatever you want as long as you stay within the other rules of, of, you know, in terms of signing players. You obviously don't have cap space when you're that far over the tax. But if you wanted to bring, if, you know, if the Warriors wanted to bring back Durant, Thompson, DeMarcus Cousins for whatever, Kavon Looney is a, is a, a, they have full bird rights on Kavon Looney. They could technically go up to the max for Kavon Looney. They could do that. I mean, that's stupid, but like they could do yeah. that and spend, you know, $30 million on him. Plus probably would be at least a hundred, maybe $120 million in tax penalties for that, for just that guy. So, you know, technically you're allowed to spend literally whatever you want, but we've never seen really, we've never seen guys teams really go into that level of spending the largest tax bill in history i believe was the 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 2013-14 nets they spent about 91 million dollars in in tax just in tax penalties on top of the salary that they already had but we might we might see that challenged by the warriors if they bring back durant and thompson gotcha well one last question from me Regarding the Supermax, and again, it'll be a few years before the Kings even have to really worry about this, but what is the scenario where a guy like, say, De'Aaron Fox 
say he really continues to break out, makes makes an All NBA team. Does it need to be uh, first team? Does it need does it need an MVP? Does he what accolades or what accomplishments would he need to make, and by what season of his in his career to be eligible for a supermax or a designated veteran extension? So those two things are the same thing. The designated play, the designated veteran player extension and the supermax extension, those are the same things. We just call them supermax because it's an easier term for a lot of people and, and they like it. But for De'Aaron Fox, he's, you know, he's just, he just finished his second year. So this is still very far away. But if he's in his seventh or eighth years in the, in the league and he's been with the Kings that entire time or he gets traded before his rookie scale contract ends. So either this year or next year, if he gets traded to a new team, then it, it, the, 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 the thing doesn't reset and he's fine. But, you know, for a guy like Kawhi Leonard who got traded last summer, it doesn't work for him. If he's with the Kings that entire time or with another team sometime in the next two years, if in year seven or year eight he makes an all-NBA team, he is eligible for more, uh, a higher max salary than he would normally be eligible for. So for a player with seven, eight, or nine years of experience, when they are up for a max contract, they can have up to 30% of that year's salary cap. But if you're, if you have 10 years of experience or more, you're, you're, you're eligible for up to 35%. The way those guys can get that, the way the supermax works is that a, a player like De'Aaron Fox, if he makes all NBA in year seven or year eight, he can sign a, a contract for more than his regular 30% and up to that 35% threshold. That's where we see a guy like Kemba Walker right now who does not have 10 years of experience, but because he made all NBA third team last year is eligible to sign a 35% max with the Charlotte Hornets for $222 million. Got it. And then each year as it progresses, it's a 8% uh, increase, right? Yeah, it's 8% based on the first year salary. So it's not 8% of each of each previous year. It's just always 8% of that first salary, the first year salary. So the, the raise is the same dollar amount each year, but it ends up, you know, on a, on a super max contract like that, it could end up being, you know, a three, four, five million dollar raise each year. And if you were to sign a declining contract, say, you know, the Kings were chasing Horford this year, they wanted to front load it. It's the same thing with the, uh, you only can decrease it 8% each year. Yes, but that it's either it's 8%, but only if those are your own free agents, when you have an other, when you have an outside free agent, like Al Horford, it's it's limited at five percent. So they can go five percent raises or five percent declines, but they can't do like we're going to pay you thirty-five million dollars now, but then twenty million dollars next year. You can't go down by that much. You can only go down by up to five percent for non for for outside free agents, or you can go eight percent for your own free agents. Well, I think that that's all we had for you, Jeff. Did you have anything else, Rich? I'm good, man. I'm just over here taking notes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to have to re-listen to this and really just dive into it. I mean, there's a crazy amount of stuff that all these asterisks and everything. Is there anything that you feel like uh, is important for us to touch on that we didn't any sore way, Jeff? No, I mean, we pretty much rounded the bases on pretty much everything I can think of, you know, per- pertaining to the salary cap, pertaining to the Kings cap this summer, next summer, 
going all the way out to like 2025 with the De'Aaron Fox conversation. So, you know, we'll see where, where he ends up, how he ends up developing, whether he's a, a supermax guy, you know, in the, in the mid 2020s or not. But, you know, obviously they've got a long way to go until that. But otherwise, I, I think we pretty much hit on everything, uh, cap wise that are uh, super important. You know, obviously there are always little things here and there that, you know, we didn't cover today, but, you know, for the most part, we hit, we hit all the, the, we hit all the classics for sure. Yeah, and just want to thank you. I mean, we wouldn't have been able to do it without your insight. Anybody that's listening and you want a clear breakdown of it, of the Sacramento Kings or any other teams, be sure to check out Jeff's website. That is earlybirdrights.com. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast. You will hear from us again tomorrow. The Aaron's AA team makes getting the name brand furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. We're talking top brands like HP, Samsung, GE, Beautyrest, and so many more. Take them home today, then make low monthly payments until they're yours for good. Aaron's great rent-to-own deals even come with easy approvals and free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent-to-own power of the AA team.